Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Total Football Analysis EPL Podcast. We are the Thinking Fans Podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. Join our tribe. Join the revolution, which will be televised and podcasted. I am host Chris Mumford, known as The Professor. Today, I'm joined by David Seymour, whom we call coach for obvious reasons. We hear from unreliable sources that he's getting inquiries from the new Newcastle owners. He comes from our London Bureau. Also, we have Daniele Pruch, whom we call 009 because he is a debonair current pro striker. He comes from our Raleigh Bureau. Finally, we are joined by Chris Darwin, whom we call the boss because he literally is the boss. He comes from his villa in Spain. We're resting our star analyst, Harshel, as he ha- has lots of minutes in his legs and we have a crowded fixture list in coming weeks. This week, we're going to discuss the restart, the UCL, and Europa slots, half spaces, and the pre-COVID team of the year. The Ides of March did not bode well as COVID shuttered the league and the world. However, this week, we've heard that football will restart days before the summer solstice. June 17th, Jordan Henderson's birthday, which is all also shared by the original hipster, Barry Manilow. We on the podcast feel like we've made it through the rain and can't smile without you. We are delighted to be restarting the league. David, tell us what your take is on the restart. Um, yeah, I think, uh, unless, I'm, unless I'm mistaken, that they've, they've only released the first two games, right? That's, that's correct? Can someone... That's correct, in terms of set... Uh, though matches, full uh, fixtures will happen the, the following weekends. So, I mean, I think it's good that we've got a, an initial start date. I think, um, I, th- I still think they're, they're being very careful. I think that, that naming the first like two two games is, is fair enough, but they're obviously holding back on releasing the rest of the fixtures. I saw that um, they're going to have a game every at least one game every day by the looks of things and then five i think it said five on the saturday which for me you know being at home during this time that sounds great um not maybe not for my missus but uh certainly certainly from my standpoint um so yeah looking forward to it but i, I think still baby steps I'm, I'm still waiting for something to go wrong well i am looking to that f- that first match the uh Pep Guardiola, Mikel Arteta, Luke, I am your son uh, uh, match that's coming up. Uh, I think that as far as the EPL script writers go, that could not be perfect, more perfectly written. Chris, what's your take on the restart? I think we're being quite lazy going for Arsenal, Man City being the, the main fixture of that day. I mean, surely it's all about the two local lads managing their home teams. They've owned, well, I wouldn't say Chris Wilder's only got the job but because he's from Sheffield. He's done quite well since he got the job. But Dean Smith was pretty much who, uh, who supports Aston Villa that's got a coaching license and might be able to keep John Terry. Uh, on the on the straight and narrow with with his coaching, so that's the reason uh, Dean Smith's there. But tactically, I mean, and that is what we're about here. Obviously, that's quite an interesting matchup in in itself as well. So yeah, all right, Pep versus Mikel is where the lazy money is going to be going to be placed. But I actually think the uh, the Villa Sheffield United game's got a lot of interest in it as well. I mean, 
obviously Sheffield United want to continue or find if they can get back onto the momentum train nice and quickly that's going to be great for them because they've got a game in hand over the likes of United so far and a win immediately puts them straight back into that even potentially Champions League reckoning looking at Chelsea but also down at the bottom Villa have to start this restart getting points on the board early otherwise they're going to be playing championship football again next season. Daniele, you are going through a bit of a restart in in your career with uh, w- tell us what the mindset's like for the players at this point. What are they going through? The mindset is uh, all about waiting right now. We are waiting to see if the league comes out with um and by league I mean the the USL in, in my case. We're waiting to see what uh what they have in store for us. Uh they keep sending mixed signals. The season comes back, the season doesn't come back. So I'm very excited for the EPL to come back, to have games to watch again on my Saturday mornings. It's not gonna be uh, they're gonna it's not gonna be empty mornings anymore. So looking forward to it, Chris. Good, 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 good. Well, why don't we go ahead and shift our attention? Uh, Chris uh, mentioned this just a bit earlier. Is let's talk through the Champions League slots uh, as well as the Europa slots here. So the short of it is, at the very top, I don't think there's a whole lot. Uh, There's a coronation. Uh, I think one of the interesting things is they've said definitively that uh, Liverpool will be playing on a neutral venue, uh, whether they wrap that up uh, at an Everton, uh, if there's a Man City loss against Arsenal, um, which I got to tell you is kind of a head and heart breakup there uh you know you would think your your heart wants to to win in anfield but your head may it makes a lot of sense um lester i think before the last two weeks of of shutdown looked a little more solid in the top top three um chelsea and man u uh are in the in the mix there uh with the wolves and sheffield i mean it's tottenham seems a, a bit on the outside on this one uh, we we're not sure what's going to happen to Man City. You know they've lawyered up. Uh, I would be surprised if they have to do the full two years, but it seems like uh, in the back back rooms they may negotiate a one year. Uh, so it seems like potentially that so-called fifth slot would move up to the fourth slot. Um, Chris, what's what's your take on on the uh, the uh, the slots here? all better off to be honest with you I mean we have absolutely no idea what is likely to happen in the first couple of games I mean we um the, all the form that has gone into the season so far literally goes out the window because of this break this is absolutely never seen before in the middle of a season where we've had this kind of uh, this kind of disruption so all right even if Liverpool fail to turn up for the majority of the season they're still going to win the league we we, we can see that quite quite clearly um i think we have to assume that man city aren't going to be playing champions league football next season which does does open it up for for a few of the others the only thing there that i would say for me is almost guaranteed and this is with a slight caveat is that is that tottenham won't be in the reckoning um i just don't i mean Mourinho needed hours on the field to be able to to coach his team into doing the stuff that Mourinho wants him wants them to do if he even knows what that is right now 
And obviously, despite a couple of park sessions, he's not had the opportunity uh, to do that with his players. So I can't see that they're going to make an immediate sort of impact. The ones that I'm looking at there and thinking, this is really interesting, is uh, is can Solskjaer take Man United into the Champions League? I think we have to say that the potential is there. You look at Wolves, you look at Sheffield United, that's two interesting sides that really could upset the apple cart here. So I think that final Champions League place could be where the real interest lies in the Premier League, apart from the bottom end of the table. That last Champions League place is where it really is interesting for the rest of the season. So last week we talked about injuries uh, and and this time uh, more time to recover from injuries. I We talked about how Man U uh, was going to be a beneficiary of that and 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 Tottenham as well. Uh, a healthy Harry Kane could could change the mojo of the club there. David, what are your thoughts on on the the positions here? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty pretty similar with Chris, and, and I'm so interested to see if United can squeeze into the Champions League and what that would mean for their summer plans. Um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping. Look, I'm a West Ham fan, so I'm going to be pretty biased here, and so I'm hoping that Chelsea and, and Tottenham don't have a good run into the end of the season, but. Um, uh, I, I think I think Spurs. I think we spoke about this last week, really. With I, th- I think Spurs are, are gonna are gonna struggle a little bit. Perhaps I think um, Mourinho's. Uh, it's not a balanced side, and I think Mourinho needs a summer transfer window. If I'm not sure many Spurs fans want him to to have that, but um, yeah, I think I think I could see United squeezing into that that fourth position. Um, otherwise. Yeah, I, I think Sheffield United uh, are going to continue. I, don't, I mean, I think they're the perfect case of a side where they haven't had a huge overhaul in in personnel. They've got a manager who's been with the club now for, for several years and there's obviously gained promotion in that time, you know, a couple of times, and they've looked really strong this year. So I think Sheffield United are going to carry on as they are as well. I could see them getting into Europa. Um, yeah, it's certainly interesting. I think that sort of fourth down to seventh, is going to be interesting, interesting to see how, how that uh, configures as the season comes to a conclusion. Daniele, do you have any differences of, of, of opinion on this broad agreement we seem to be forming here? I just wanted to add that we shouldn't write off Mourinho. Actually, I think that he will eventually have the last word. Wow. Well, that'll that'll be interesting to play. I I've, mean, I've got to jump in here, Chris. I'm sorry. I think there's one thing we can categorically do in football now, and that's right off Jose Mourinho. He is yesterday's man when it comes to all this kind of stuff. He's come to Tottenham with this whole attitude of, "Yeah, I'm a new man. I know I've got a new way of playing. I'm gonna I'm gonna embrace the modern football." And I don't know, no, a couple of my best mates are Tottenham fans and they're not buying into, into this narrative that Jose's created. A couple of changes in the backroom staff doesn't seem to have had the instant impact. And he's got really fortunate with the fact that Harry Kane has been injured. So he's got that perfect excuse of, I can't show you what I can do at the moment because Harry's injured. So I, I just cannot see on any planet that we're going to see Jose Mourinho win a Premier League title ever again, let alone take Tottenham into, into the Champions League this season. And if they get Europa League from where they're at and the way that... The, and I'm contradicting myself by saying the way they were playing before the, the break, obviously, because we don't know what's going to happen since. But if they play anything like they did before that, they won't be getting European football next season. I think... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I'm a big Mourinho fan, actually, and I, I stick by him for all the ridiculousness. I'm on the wrong uh, podcast, clearly. <laughs> I... I, I still think that he, he's a class manager. I think he's got to change a little bit, but 
Um, cool, so can we define class? What, what 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 do you mean by class? Throwing your players under the bus the minute the minute it goes wrong, or he's won he's won two he's he's won two Champions Leagues and when ages it ago it doesn't matter it doesn't make a difference he's still the game the game's changed in in ten years but it hasn't changed that drastically where suddenly he's he's a bad manager. Oh, Seymour, come on, my friend. Seriously, the game hasn't changed that more in the last decade. Do you want to reevaluate that I'm, statement? I'm, to- I'm totally serious. I think that the, the Barca, um, sort of the Pep Guardiola Barca side is still very much the favoured style. I mean, we've got pressing now. But there was only one team playing it really well back then, whereas we now have lots of teams that are playing this more evolved style. Barcelona showed teams how, how it could be played. And then other teams have, have followed and taken it off in the, with their own style. I think I just think that Mourinho's personnel right now in this job isn't right. It wasn't right at Manchester United, and I think in hindsight, people have actually gone. Do you know what he he didn't actually do that bad a job at United? Um, and I I just think that he's so easy to hate because he's he's uh, so divisive um, in just his his personality. But I actually think that. He certainly made some mistakes tactically at Tottenham so far, and I don't think he's. I'm not saying that he's been great there, but I still think he's a he's a top class manager, and I'm willing to give him time to see what he does with Spurs. I'm not just saying that as a West Ham fan, hoping that Spurs uh, continue to drop down. I'll give game. you my take on things. I, I mean, I think the jury's out. I mean, the the truth is the squad that he inherited, particularly with the injuries, hard hard to make a a. A, a final verdict on what he can and can't do. And my gut, along with you, Chris, thinks that his ability in which to adapt to the new football environment may be compromised. But uh, I'd like to see a transfer window or two to see what happens there. You know, they they went for the accountants, don't want to. Well, that's, that's going to be very expensive for him. That's a very fair comment because I think they, they were at peak last year or the year before. Um, and you know, I, I'm not ready to throw this year's team completely under the bus because uh, I don't think Harry Kane is the best striker in the league, but he is a difference maker. And when you have him and Son, and if they can strap that that uh, defense, that defensive line uh, together, and Hugo Lloris has had a breakout season. He is playing outstanding football uh, uh, in terms of his uh, expected saves versus actual. So there are some pieces there. I just wonder, remember six months ago, we were ready to throw Man U completely under the bus, complete rebuild multi-year. And all of a sudden, you know, they could make it back into champions and they could, they could sneak past Leicester. I mean, I, I absolutely love Leicester. I, I still am not sure that I'm ready to fully trust the Leicester story. Um, just because it's freaking hard. And as Daniele has mentioned in the past, this is a brand new season. Someone can make a heck of a nine or 10 game run and we're not going to see it coming at all. It's all about probabilities, right? And and I think they're going to be one or two teams that make a run that no one expected. So with that, why don't we move on to the next topic here, uh, which is, uh, David, you're going to talk to us a little bit about half spaces, which is Really, I think with respect to thought leaders within football, uh, it's been, always been around. But in the last few years, it seems to have been codified. And now it seems to be more mainstreamed where coaches are, are, are making that more of a point of tactical focus. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, I think um, 
I think since Guardiola's Barcelona, it's become more prominent in the football vernacular, and I think uh, people are talking about it more. But yeah, as you said, it's 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 been a part of football for for so long, and I think if, even if we go back to tactics years and years and years ago, when you know we had halfbacks, that was essentially the the area where where those players were um, were playing in. So it's not like it's some sort of invention, but I think that teams are using them particularly well. Um, it, it, let's just start with this. I mean, we've got a grid here on the on the screen which shows the pitch divided into um, five, yeah, into five channels. And obviously, we've got the central channel in the middle, the wings, uh, obviously there as well. And then in between both of those, we have the half spaces. Um, and if you were like designing a, a, a positional grid as a coach, you can change the dimensions as such. So you know, you, you might have your central grid wider based on how you want to play. Um, but this is how you would structure your training, uh, certainly. Um, you would show these half spaces and where you want players to move into. Guardiola does things of these where, for example, he doesn't want more than two, I think, two players in the same uh, vertical channel. So, um, yeah. The, yeah, that's how you would uh, structure it. And, yeah, I've just, I've just put this one up here just to show why, why we would have half spaces. So, a lot of teams will play to prevent the team in possession from playing centrally um, and will sit into the, the central channel or, or press in a way to prevent the, the team being able to play into the central channel. So rather than play it into the wings where your options are limited, teams will look to play into the half spaces where they're still in a relatively central position, but it's also in this awkward area where it's in between the centre and the wings. And so opposition... Midfielders and defenders have to make the decision whether to uh, push out a little bit wider if they're central players or tuck in if they're wingers. And they may get pulled out of position and then it's when you can start playing around them. So this example just shows the goalkeeper playing past uh, his back three into a central midfielder dropping into the half space to receive the pass. And I mean, it's just an example. It's not like this is this is the, the magic formula to playing out from the back. But yeah, that shows it in, in, uh, in theory. And has the has the goal kick the uh, changes in rules? Has that accelerated more passing into the half spaces on the build up? Um, that's a good question, Chris. I I think with the with the uh, the change in rules, I think you're seeing the centre backs just start deeper, so starting well inside the eighteen, and it invites the press on more. You often see. Um, one or two, sometimes even three forwards camped right outside the 18-yard box, waiting for the keeper to play into the centre-backs. And that will be, for the out-position team, that's a way to instigate the press quickly and intensely. But for the team in possession, that's a way to draw the press forward and leave space in the midfield. I wouldn't say necessarily it's opened up more opportunities in the half spaces, but I mean, perhaps it, it gets teams to play into those areas quicker. But I mean, this is that's just me. Daniele, 009, How has that affected your um, your defensive play as a as a striker? Because the half space for the attacking players is a magnificent thing. It allows us to turn. It allows us to force the center back and the right back. I'm talking about if you're a left winger, for instance, to make a choice because you're in that space that really is, they, they don't know who should pick it up, right? And uh, as you're in that position, you know, in the half space, you have the possibility to scan your surroundings and uh, and know 
if you should release the ball right away when you receive it or turn and uh, and go to goal. How about in terms of the the changes in the goalkeeper uh, in the goal kick rules? Has that changed how you play defensively as as a striker? I would have to uh, think about it because um, our season <laughs> has been interrupted. But um, yeah, it could. Uh, it's definitely a different approach in terms of pressing because when the defenders or midfielders they when they receive in that half space uh usually as a, as a striker you force them to uh, to make a wide pass uh it depends on the on the, what the team strategy is but that's usually what uh, what we do so forcing it wide um obviously with this half space with this new rule the defenders have a have an advantage because they don't have to wait any longer on the on the far side of the field. They don't have to stay outside of the box anymore. Right. Well, I know as as a keeper, if if I can get the the forwards up a little bit higher, it and we I can just pass off real quickly. It to me, it feels like I've got there's a little more space in my defensive third or the lower part of the middle third for me to me or one of my defenders to uh, distribute the ball. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolution occurs. But I, I'm seeing more and more of that in the uh, uh, in the in the at, at all levels. I think I just quick could you just quickly go back to that slide, Chris? I just want to jump on something as well. If you look at the formation here, we've got the Reds in a three-four-three, and a lot of teams are actually uh, playing a bit like building up with a three-four-three at the moment. Even if they let's say their formation is a four-three-three, and so what you can see here is you've got the two centre backs are split wide. And the fullbacks are pushed on to take sort of like an orthodox wing position. And the pivot drops in. Now, the pivot will drop in to be part of the back three uh, from a central position. Um, and that's, that's I mean, to get the, the player, you know, he's probably their best ball player on the ball quickly. And so he can orchestrate your build-up play. But at the same time, it creates space in the central channel as well, as we can see in that example. So you've got your two central midfielders either side. But for example, let's say that central midfielder receives a pass there, or even though just the wide centre-back receives a pass. You've got that central channel where you could play straight into the centre-forward, and it, it makes that midfield, the central midfield less crowded if, if the pivot drops out. So that's just why I showed that formation as well. I gotcha. Daniele Giorgino, I, I think, would be one of those prototypical types that would that he seems to not have a problem with dropping back and demand the ball. Uh, and he is a, a heck of a playmaker. So, uh, David, that that all makes a lot of sense there. I wonder how many other players are like that. Maybe a Bruno Fernandez um, that that are they seem to want to be willing to drop back in those situations and demand the ball. Yeah, we see. I think I think, uh, and this is going outside the Premier League a little bit, but I think the the number one player I see doing it in Europe right now is Thiago Alcantara. Uh, at Bayern Munich and, and there are, don't be wrong there are plenty of players who will do this but he does it incredibly effectively and he, he really sort of takes on that quarterback role when he does it let's also mention David Silva he's a master of um, of the half space and if you look at him in a game you can see that he keeps turning his head right and left and he takes up that position the half space and uh, his teammates are often able to find him there okay so the, the examples that I've picked out, I, I chose two teams that maybe don't get as much coverage 
and purely just to show that this is being used by teams across the league. Um, and Brighton, I mean, Brighton plays some really lovely football just in general. Graham Potter's doing a terrific job there in terms of the style that they're playing, at least. Um, and they will look to hit the half space as much as possible. To do this, um, they will have a central midfielder operate in the half space. And we can see Aaron Moy, who's the bald guy <laughs> in this image here. And he's just going to drop out to the, the wing. Um, as And in this, in this case, Brighton are playing with a front three, and that's Solly March, who isn't really a centre forward, but nevertheless. Solly March is going to receive the pass. And he's going to drop deeper into this half space to draw one of the Wolves defenders out. Um, so, Chris, if you go on to the next slide. Smart receives the pass. He's drawn the defender out and he lays the ball off to Aaron Moy, who's now in this wide position. Um, as Moy receives, I mean, we can see that he draws attention himself and he's able to just play that pass behind the defensive line, still in the half space as March moves on. Now, March has already drawn a defender out with him, playing him behind him into this space. Because that defender's now out of position, a second defender has to come across. And so I've highlighted there's a centre-back in the central area who's going to shift over as well to try and intercept March. And that leaves Neil Mopai, who is the other highlighted player, is centre-forwards in a 1v1 in, the, in a central area, which is a terrific outcome for Brighton. Um, if you go on to the next side, they have almost an identical pattern. But this time, we can see that that March hasn't brought uh, a central defender out. We've got the right back coming into him and he's able to just slide the ball uh, behind into the space behind and Moy continues his run this time, just moving into the exact same space that March did in, in the exact same game. And, and that's something that you'll see Brighton doing a fair bit. That's just two patterns in, within the half space that we will see them use to attack. Um, and then the other team, yeah, I want to... Bring out was Leicester because Leicester leave the half space vacant a lot of the time, not all the time, but certainly a lot of the time. Um, and they will look to draw the opposition midfield out as much as possible with their build up to create space between the midfield and the defence. And so here we can see a quick interchange of passes, and James Madison plays pass into the half space, and the original player spins off and receives the ball in the half space. And as soon as they receive the ball there, then the opposition defence how to make a decision because that player is now between the lines. So you're going to see Tyrone Mings, for example, and he's going to push forward here. And again, that can leave the centre forward in a 1v1. It can certainly leave space in behind should they play in behind the defence. Um, if you go on to the next slide, Jamie Vardy is really important in so much of what Leicester do. But again, Leicester will leave that space vacant. And um, if they can make the opposition defence flat and narrow, as they've done here, that's a Brilliant outcome. Vardy's playing by himself here and uh, Harvey Barnes drives forward with the ball. And what he's done is he's dri driving forward straight into the, into the half space and he's managing to engage the right back, which is a fantastic, uh, fantastic outcome for Leicester because it leaves lots of space out wide. Now, when we think of defending, we always think of staying narrow. But in this case, what you really want to see Aston Villa do as a unit is shift across together rather than let the right back engage Barnes but that nevertheless that's what happens Vardy's able to spin out into all this space in the left wing and there's all that space in the half space behind and so a simple pass through the flat defense will allow Vardy to run behind and as we know Vardy isn't the easiest to catch Danielle Danielle can I go ahead sorry Chris may I just jump in with a question for Danielle then as an attacking player the when when a defense is facing a team that has got so much rotation and so much movement as we're seeing in these examples here 
as a striker or as an attacking player, are you no do you notice then the level of communication that's going in with the defending team? Because when you've got this sort of movement going on, communication is key so that everybody knows what they're doing. Do you come across teams that are just that little bit quiet and you go, Yeah, we're in here, lads, because they're just not they're not able to communicate effectively enough here to defend the, the appropriate spaces? And does that then give you confidence that you, you're going to have greater chances as opposed to a team that is super communicative. So, for example, with this one here, there would be somebody guiding the Villa back four across to cover that space in a much more effective way. Yeah, Chris, the best thing to hear is when the defensive lines and their midfielder, the midfielding line, they don't agree on things. So they start um, yelling at each other. They start raising their voice. Hey, I should pick it up. I should pick him up. No, that's your man. When you hear that, that's when you know that you're doing a great job of occupying the, the half space as well as uh, um, making the right movements in terms of rotations with, uh, with your teammates. You create chaos and, uh, and they don't know how to move to, to get tight on you. As far as Daniele's, have there been, has there been more emphasis in playing in the half spaces as, you, as of late or how, how has this affected your playing career? It's uh, certainly a concept that has come up more lately, according to my experience. And, uh, but uh, as David showed us, we know why. It, uh, it can create so, much, um, so many things for, uh, for, the, for the attacking team. And if there's one pattern that I noticed through, throughout these slides, is that the, the defending team was always, there was always something wrong in the positioning of the defending team because the attacking team was doing a great job of occupying that uh, the half space. I think. I think as well. I think what what you want to do as a team in possession is you want to unbalance the opposition. That's the, the surely that should be the number one priority, and to unbalance the opposition. And I think that if you can focus playing the half spaces, it forces the opposition to make decisions that perhaps they're less comfortable with. It forces them into areas that maybe some players don't want to be in, and it naturally unbalances teams. So teams that are really good at playing the half spaces will have great joy of bringing players into areas they don't want to be in. Yeah, and I will add something. When you position yourself in the half space, you have to be on the same page with your teammates because the, the passing, the, when you are a passing option in a half space for a very quick moment. So your teammate has to recognize that and give you the ball at the right time. We're talking about half a second because that's the time that you need to um to mess with the defensive line and uh, in that half a second they're not going to be able to understand who should drop or who should step on you i tell you i think from a keeper's perspective those half spaces are so dangerous because uh the speed of the crosses are coming across so you can hit low drivers uh where there's just your your response time is compromised I also think from an angles perspective, you have to respect the shot. So you have to be in a set position as opposed to in a cross where you're, you're turned to the side uh, and you can see, um, you can do some shoulder checks and see where the strikers are making their runs. Um, so I find that very challenging. And unsurprisingly, the, the expected goals from crossing from the wings uh, is about 2%. And if you versus crosses in the half spaces, which are 5%. And if you move to where the, if it's a cutback, then it increases the, 
it up to about 7%. So it just forces the defense and the goalkeeper to respect the shot, which is going to create more openings for strikers to finish the ball. So um, the half space is, 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 is a very, very vexing thing. Um, David, I, I want to ask you one last question on this. When someone likes someone like Burnley parks the bus, you know, they've got basically seven defenders between the six and the 18 between the sticks, right? How did, does that neutralize the half spaces? And is that why it forces folks like Man City and Liverpool to do the longer crosses because they had and, and maybe take it down to the end line to open things up? Yeah, when a team has more possession, they're naturally just going to have more crosses. So when I think um, we look at Bayern Munich and Man City as two big examples of teams that cross like a fair, a fair amount and have large amounts of possession, it's good because, yeah, teams will sit in. I think what you will see those kinds of teams do, though, when they're playing against teams that are happy to sit in, um, is you're going to see a lot of vertical passing both ways. You're going to see them trying to bring uh, the opposition out and they'll be playing in tight areas and tight central areas before recycling the ball to a pivot or a center back in the aim just to bring the opposition forward enough and then they can seek to hit hit spaces um i think as well you'll see if if the opposition engage in any form of press regardless of whether they're looking to sit in generally speaking if they engage in any form of press you're going to see um the team possession look to hit the center forward as quick as possible and I'm not saying like a long pass, but I'm saying to drill that ball into the centre forward's feet. Um, and one of the best ways to do that is to have the centre back split into the half spaces. And this is where your advantage of having ball playing centre backs comes in, is that gives a, a beautiful angle. If you can create enough central space in midfield, it creates a lovely angle for those two wide centre backs to be able to drill diagonal passes into a centre forward who will drop drop in almost as like a for that for that phase as a false nine. Right. I, I still see even when the bu the bus is parked, Man City, folks like Mares will still take advantage of those half spaces and then go ahead and take those speculative shots, two or three touches inside and take the shot. And I know as as a keeper in that sort of traffic, you don't know if you're getting a shot directly on you, there's a deflection or it's going to get chipped over. And I think we saw what happened to Berkey uh, where I, if you remind me that Kimmich was in that half, uh, in kind of in that half space, I don't think Berkey had the, the sight line on it. And by the time he saw it, he just didn't have the speed with his legs to get across. I don't know if anybody would, but Chris, I know this is, this is a bit off topic, but I, this is actually a question that I meant to ask you as well with that, with that. And for anyone who's not aware of what we're talking about, we're talking about the, the Bayern Munich Dortmund game where Berkey had the chance to, I mean, it looked like he made a mistake, to be honest with you. It was a beautiful effort from Kimmich, but I would have expected the goalkeeper to have saved that there. Um, now, was that due to positioning? Was it due to movement? Was it due to exploding at the wrong time to make the save? Because I don't want to just sit here and be like, oh, he's not got strong wrist, because that feels that feels lazy to me, and I just don't, I don't believe that. So what, what, I know this is off topic, but it's still, I think it's still certainly of note. What was the goalkeeper doing that led to that? goal being scored um i look forward to starting the uh total football analysis goalkeeper uh podcast where we'll get we'll get <laughs> into this uh and in a minute i'm gonna ask chris who's also a fellow goalkeeper what his take is on it uh, my my thing is is as a keeper i want to be as high as i can be on three or four and i'm willing to take the risk 
that sometimes a striker is going to be able to hit a ball at full speed and put it right over me, that the window is very, very small, but that's going to increase my probabilities of getting down to the left or right and protecting the, my side panels a little better. So in my opinion, that's a, that's a personal risk. I, I don't think he made a mistake. He was scouted for that. Kimmich said that. Um, and that means as a keeper, you got to change up a little bit where you have to step back some game, step forward. And really, to me, a keeper should be showing three-yard line generally, four-yard line. But then it, right when the striker puts his head down, right when I see Daniele put his head down, I'm going to sneak in another step forward or two. So w- once I know he's going to take a hard shot. So I think, I think um, Berkey did not have the sight line completely because there was traffic. And then he saw it and he's like, oh my God. I don't think his technique was was uh, bad, um, shuffling back. I think Kimmich hits one of those out of 10, two out of 10. And you just have to say, good on you, good job. Let's pick up the ball and keep rolling. Chris, what's your take on that? I think first of all, credit has to go to the to the Munich analysis that um, they sussed that there was a weakness there. Uh, and that weakness, they may, not, they may not have even had a chance to, to try that in the game. But the one chance that did come along, it was executed very, very well from the, from the player. However, I, th- I think the goal's been a little bit overrated. Uh, I think everyone was so desperate for football to be back that this is suddenly the greatest goal we've ever seen. And I'm, I'm not convinced it, convinced it was that. Berkey, I mean, clear, there is clearly a, an issue there. If they've spotted that and that is a, something that's on, then it's something that needs to be looked at and addressed in training. I, I agree maybe with the mixing up his starting position from time to time, but he was clearly in the wrong position if that shot was able to be on. Now, in terms of the actual save itself, and we, you, you called me a goal, I, was, I haven't been a goalkeeper for many, many years, but I do remember that that was probably the worst nightmare effort coming in on goal because it's actually incredibly difficult to pull off the technique to make that save because you've got to be concentrating on, on the backpedaling. You've got to somehow find the strength in the wrist to be able to, to get the ball up and over, but the ball's not coming with a lot of pace anyway. It's coming on a downward trajectory. So to actually get the hand technique to be able to do that with the correct timing whilst you're focusing on all that and you've still got the oh shit he's done me moment as it's going back over your head that's an incredibly difficult sort of skill to pull off however just from the general uh, the general greatness of goal if a keeper gets a touch to it guys it cannot be a great goal Go- great goals have to go in clean as a whistle and, and, and that one just doesn't count for me in that respect that's that's maybe something that we need to think of in the next podcast great goals where the keeper has touched it and maybe we need to debate whether that was a great goal then based on Chris's we'll make sure Harshall's we'll make sure Harshall's still on the bench for that one then I, I want to be in on that one well we're gonna we're probably gonna have <laughs> nine over 90 events in which to uh to evaluate that in the coming uh the coming uh weeks here um so why don't we go ahead and switch gears to the next topic here uh thank you for that um David and uh we're gonna go ahead and go to the pre-covid team of the year and I guess uh, Harshell uh, while from the bench was able to conduct a Twitter poll from the the TFA uh, Illuminati uh, on on the and I'll go ahead and run through this quickly and then what I'd like to do is ask each one of you to justify the differences of opinion you had and let's 
let's have a civilized conversation about this. Um, I, I think so you're pitching quite a, high for civilized. <laughs> so uh, the 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 Twitter votes are in. The the People's Choice Award for the goalkeeper is Henderson, right back. Uh, uh, Trent Alexander Arnold, uh, Van Dyke as center back. Uh, the other center back is Suenuku. The left back is Robertson. The center uh, defensive midfielder is Nandidi. The uh, center midfielder, Henderson. De Bruyne is the other center midfielder. Uh, and then left wing is Mane. Right wing is Salah. And I guess we chose a 4-3-3 uh, three, three configuration on this. Yeah, we did. Um, so why don't... David, who's, our center, why don't who's our center forward? Oh, uh, we can't see at the very bottom, but uh, bear with me one second. <laughs> That's an important detail. Aguero was the winner of the. There we go. Uh, we've, we've we've gone strikerless. We've gone strikerless, David. <laughs> <laughs> They're good enough that they can beat with with ten players. We think. Uh, yeah. So, um, Daniele, what's what's your take on this? T tell us where you differed and why you differed on it. Okay, I got a lot of hate. Because I included Leno as a uh, as keeper, I know that Chris and David they have some. And you, and you wonder why? It's because it's more of a of a choice coming from my from my heart because I like the the German school of goalkeeping, uh, based a lot on uh, on saves with uh, with the legs. I do not think that he is the best in the Premier League, but uh, I needed to. To light light up a little fire, you know, Chris. Otherwise, uh, we 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 would all agree probably on. Uh, um, sorry, otherwise I would have chosen uh, Allison. Hey, I hope that's part of your team talk towards him though when you're picking this team. But I don't think you're the best in the Premier League. But I, I like what you do with your feet. <laughs> Good. Tell us about your center defensive midfielder choice. I pick uh, Jorginho. Uh, because his uh, vision, his uh, football IQ is just uh, too too high for uh, for other players to to even uh, even get close to him. Um, I like his passing. I like the the way he keeps telling his uh, his uh, center backs where to pass it and when to pass it. If you look at his hands, he's always giving directions and. Um, and uh, players like that are a nightmare to press. As a as a striker, uh, if you go against Jorginho, you know that he he knows you're coming. He knows which way, uh, how fast, and he's gonna he's gonna uh, pass the ball around you or take a touch around you. But it's a uh, it's a nightmare. We we need to talk about how you managed to get Marcus Rashford over Sadio Mane. Well, because uh, it was uh, too boring of a, of a choice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't forget, he's got something like 14 goals in 20, 22 games, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves, David, but uh, also his style is um, is something that I, I really like. Yeah, I, that's, that's a bold call there uh, going against uh, Mane. Mares, tell us why why you chose chose him. I pick Mares because, well, first off, because he's left footed, so uh, I want my uh, my wingers to play with uh, inverted foot, and um, I like his uh, his one v one abilities are um, are incredible. The way he cuts in, 
uh, in and out. He just drives the defenders crazy. Um, and also, I pick Aguero as my striker. So I have the Man City connection right there. We we're talking about half spaces. Um, so there's, there is already some chemistry in my team. That's why I'm pretty confident that it will beat all your guys' teams. <laughs> can you can you answer this one I'm just, I'm just looking forward to my guys looking back at that and going sorry lads I got Leno in goal Virgil's looking back going who the hell put him in nets <laughs> and Sionku's going where's Casper so I'm, I'm feeling quite confident that we, that we might get a couple of goals in uh, with my lot we need to talk about Chris's team because uh, Chris uh, Chris actually I think maybe both Chris's how many Leicester players, Chris Mumford, I'm, I'm talking about you. How many Leicester players have you got in your team? Schmeichel, Sionchu, Ndidi, three. Has anyone got more than three Leicester players in their team? Have I, did, I check, did I pick Vardy as my striker? We'll never know. I meant to. We'll never know. <laughs> Presume that I did, so I will have three as well. Yes, you've got yeah, Vardy. Good, good. Then I've got three as well, yeah. I've chosen the right three initially. I mean, don't forget, I've not chosen... I've got three. I've got three. That's right. interesting. So we got, we got, but we got. Technically, there's five five Leicester players mentioned. How many Liverpool players have we got mentioned? Allison, Trent, Van Dijk, Robertson, Mane, Salah, Henderson. So they got seven. I mean, it might. I think looking at this at a glance, I think Leicester might be our second most mentioned team. But isn't that often the way in this situation though? Because I mean, yeah, it stands to perfect reason that you're going to have Liverpool as there's going to be a lot of players in there. Man City probably get a little bit forgotten about this season because in many people's eyes they will have failed which is maybe not necessarily fair and uh, the expected points and the expected goals and all that would suggest that, that that isn't exactly the case. But then Leicester have surprised everyone. So I suppose Leicester are more prevalent in your mind. When you think about who's been really good, Leicester players come up because they've probably overachieved our initial expectations this season. That, that was actually something that uh, I spoke to Chris and Daniel about yesterday was the expected points table was that City are on 60, 63 for expected points and Liverpool... 57.8, which is actually mind-blowing when you think about the points total. Be very um, careful about this, though. I mean, I saw the I saw the love that the Athletic got for uh, for mentioning something similar on a piece yesterday, and there, there won't be many Liverpool fans subscribing <laughs> to the Athletic next week, I think. So they will just say that we, we actually think that both teams have been brilliant this season. We love everything. And, and what, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. We love every team and how they're all playing, and we love the fans of every team <laughs> well, as well. I say that, but I, I didn't pick Trent, so I, I, I might not be the most popular man either, but... Um... <laughs> yeah, you, 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 are, you, sir, are an idiot, though, as we're going to come on to when it comes to Mark Noble, I think. <laughs> Well, before we leave you, Chris, justify your your green thumb. Sorry, Greenwood. Uh, Mason, Mason Greenwood. Um, I like any. I personally, I believe that when you're putting a team together, you should have at least one breakthrough star in there. And most of the guys that have been picked there, you could probably say that Sionchu is 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 fairly new. But Greenwood has he's a youngster who's come in and in the moment where everyone was looking at United and thinking Solskjaer should go and United are failing and, and all that sort of side of it, Greenwood was one of the players who really stood up, grasped his chance with both hands and delivered um, and sort of almost did what Rashford did a few years before him. And then if you're looking at the future for United with, um, with, with Rashford and Greenwood uh, coming through, that's not just, that's not just, good for, for United that's good as an England football fan as well so I just felt that again probably similar to sim, similar to Danielli not wanting just to pick the obvious people in there um, though I wouldn't have dropped Mane because that's just crazy 
Um, I thought Greenwood would be a, a nice addition to the side because he's he's had a really good season um, and he's got a lot of potential. And uh, yeah, I think um, he's one of the few real highlights for, for United this season. Chris, do you realize that you're coming on my side when by mentioning Rashford, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I've got nothing against Rashford, though. I think I, as an again, as a United fan, I'm sure they would have loved to him to have played as well as he did for England for the entire season at United. But I think it's probably taken a long time for him to get over the uh, or get rid of the straight jacket that he was wearing under Mourinho for so long. That still wear that still weighs quite heavy on him. Um, but no, Rashford. To be fair to him, he said he has had a really good year. But has he had a better year than Mane? I mean, I suppose then we get into has Greenwood had a better season than Salah, and then that's where we start to lose Liverpool fans again. And we love you, Liverpool fans. Stay with us, David. Give, give us your take. Uh, you, you've got a couple of contrarian yeah, I mix selections there. I've just, I've just come off mute again, David. Just so you know, I'm ready. <laughs> I, I, I mixed it up because, uh, first of all, I, I will give a disclaimer and say I think Trent is the best right back in the world. So, uh, But I didn't want to give Trent the, the clean sweep, and I thought Ricardo Pereira deserved a shout out. I think with Virgil van Dijk, we can allow that for a clean sweep because I think... Uh, I, to be honest with you, I didn't think either of the other centre-backs. I don't think Maguire deserved to be in there. I don't think Johnny Evans deserved to be in there. So, yeah, we went with Van Dijk and Soyuncu as a clean sweep there. But I wanted to give Ricardo Pereira a shout-out because he's been excellent this season in his own right. And, um, yeah, I wanted to pay homage to his season. I think in goal, I couldn't believe I was the only person that went for Allison. See, Liverpool fans, I've got your back. How am I the only person in this list who's gone for Allison? That's ridiculous. He's the best goalkeeper in the world, no? I tell you, let's do the goalkeeper thing in a bit. I want to hear about this Noble thing. I want to see the fireworks go off here. Oh, yeah. I just put Mark Noble in there because uh, he is my favorite player in the world and he just deserves it. He is, he is always in my... Uh, He's your favorite player in the I world. I love Mark Noble so much. He's... Uh, I mean, this is how Mark Noble still has a Premier League career, mm. is that he's built such a life off being sort of like, ah, oh, where's Mark Noble? You know, he's great. <laughs> oh, he's, he's West Ham through and through. You know he what? is. Several, several West Ham, there's a, there's a big contingent of West Ham fans that are actually pretty tough on him. And I think three... Yeah, and we call those the intelligent West Ham fans. I think three or four years ago, <laughs> Noble had a bad, a really bad run of form and people were really on him. And he's, he's come good in the last couple of years. Now, that, is he is he the best defensive midfielder in the world? Uh, in sorry, even in the Premier League? No, he's not even in the top ten. But he's in my list, and he's staying in there because <laughs> it, on the off chance that he's watching this podcast, uh, I want him to invite me around his house and be friends with him. So, David, David, we we had an intervention last week about making poor life decisions, and you <laughs> giving him the armband as well, haven't you? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, of course he's got the armband. He he came out he, oh, he he came out uh he came out as a captain. He's just he is captain through and through. He was wearing a captain's armband when he was a baby. Well at least if he wins the toss, he'll give something to your team then. But other than that, mate, Jesus. <laughs> Daniele, what 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 were you about to say? I was gonna say, David, so you picked your team yeah, just for fun, right? Not to win. Um Yeah, do you know what I did I did do that one for fun, if I'm honest with you. He wasn't even on the shortlist, but uh I just and talking about your right winger also. Oh, my right winger, Bandia, because he's uh, well. I wanted to put. Him, I was going to crowbar him in at central midfield, and I decided that I had to give Mateo Kovacic a shout out because no one had done that either. So, uh, yeah, let me go with Kovacic, and I'll explain Bandia. Kovacic has been incredible this season. I, I, am one hundred. That isn't even me trying to be controversial. I think him and De Bruyne would be my two central midfielders there, and 
if I was being honest, defensive midfielder, I'd potentially go Indeed or Jorginho. So both of those are fair shouts. But with yeah, with Kovacic, I think he's worked beautifully with Jorginho there. He's an excellent ball winner. Um, and obviously Jorginho is a fantastic ball player. So they work so well together. Um, he retains possession incredibly well. I think he's got one of, I think, I want to say he's got the second highest dribble completion percentage in the league, something like 67%, which, and don't be wrong, he's not taken on a lot of players, but it shows that his ball retention is excellent. Um, he registers incredibly well on top of his ball winning statistics. He re- registers incredibly well for passes forward, passes into the final third. He's a really well-rounded central midfielder. And I think that a lot of people have slept on him because when he first came into the league, it was he wasn't really a success story at all. And I think all credit to Frank Lampard, which I don't say often, um, because, yeah, he's, he's looked excellent this season and uh, I've been well impressed. I'm interested to see what he does next season. Now, with Buendia, right, I wanted to mix that up as well because Chris went with Greenwood, so... Uh, I went with Emi Buendia. He is just such a joy to watch as a player. And I guess if we're looking purely at statistics, that side of his game obviously isn't going to stand out as as much. I think he attempts just over six dribbles per game. And he has around, I think, maybe just below 50% completion. But, I mean, watching him is just delightful. He, he's, it reminds me, and he's not necessarily the same type of player, but he reminds me of the same way... You know, it was when Dimitri Payet was in the league and I think Payet got caught all the headlines for the three free kicks. But actually, I think one of the best things about Payet was watching on the ball, his swagger, his skills, the way he played the game. And for me, Emi Buendia plays the game the way I wanted to when I was a kid. You know, I didn't grow up wanting to play like Charles Soyuncu. And I think that... Uh, Bendy's, Sorry, Leicester fans. <laughs> yeah, but I think Bendy's been outstanding. He, obviously, he was terrific in the championship last season and he's he's done really well for uh, Norwich side that obviously have struggled this year. He's got seven assists for them, which means that I think they, that's one assist for every three and a half goals that they've scored this season, showing how important he is to them. Um, he's a good ball progressor, but he's just I think he's just very press resistant um, as a player. Um, I did, do you know what, when I was, because I knew that Chris was going to come at me for this. So I think I wrote down something about his final third part. Oh, yeah, he's it's, he's got the highest uh, percentage completion on through passes this season, 50%, which is outstanding. And he's attempted the ninth most through, through passes as well. So, Mate, I'm, I'm happy for you to pick him in his actual position. It was when you were having him a central midfield well, alongside Mark Noble, I was doubting <laughs> it. Well, do you know what, I wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to have Max as was as was Buendia by this point. By this point, he was looking to his side, going, "I'm going to have to do some serious running." I wanted to have him as uh, as an attacking central midfielder, uh, so I could have Mo Salah, but I I can't have everything. So he's gone. Yeah, he's gone over to the right side. So I I guess the most unanimous the unanimous decisions were De Bruyne, right? Robertson. Help me pronounce the name. Soyuncu. Virgil Van Dijk and Trent Alexander-Arnold, right? So those are kind of four or five lockdowns. Um, David did fuss things up with right back by putting Ricardo in versus Alexander-Arnold. I will accept Trent as a unanimous, though, because he is that good. I just wanted to give Ricardo... We've just got to touch on one thing, though, guys, that we... We're supposed to know the game inside out here. This is the this is the waffle we're trying to sell to the people who are listening. We've got Sionchu and Virgil Van Dyke the wrong way round. 
Have we? Yeah, Van Dyke plays on the left. Sorensen plays on the right. Yeah, you're very right. Uh, yeah, that's well, cool. I'll, I'll have. I'll have. A I mean, that is that. That is. That's awful. If, it, uh, to be fair though, Chris, if that's your issue with this list, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's my issue well, with with this list. We've just killed our credibility with in one fail swoop. Speaking of, we're just going to edit out Mark Noble, and it's all going to be good. Speaking of most contentious, I think the goalkeeper position was the most contentious of of all of them. Um, make the someone make the case for Henderson. Well, I think it's going to have to be me, isn't it? Because I'm the one who's chosen him. It's very, it's, I was actually quite worried to see that, that I've almost agreed with Twitter with everything that I've done here. And it's a really worrying place for me in the world if actually my views match what goes on on Twitter. You need to look who's so, running the uh, Twitter account. That's what it is. Well, we're not, yeah, not, not, even, not, not even that, though. But, I mean, okay, so Dean Henderson. Things I like about Dean Henderson was that he made an absolute screw-up against uh, against Liverpool, which cost uh, Sheffield United what would have been a very well-earned point in that game. But the way that he's bounced back from that has been really, really impressive. Um, it's the lazy vote to give it to Alisson because, yeah, all right, Alisson has been exceptional, but has he had to work as hard in general as Dean Henderson over the course of the season? Um, has um, Dean Henderson is in a position where he has to be at the top of his game because if he's not, then Sheffield United are quite possibly dropping more into a, not necessarily relegation narrative, but certainly they wouldn't be in the position that they are without having a goalkeeper they can give complete confidence to. I mean, basically, look at the back four I've picked and they look behind them and it's Dean Henderson. Look at the back four Daniele's picks and they look behind them and see the guy they've got between their sticks. You know which team's going out to battle happier. But the other thing I really like about Henderson is the way that he, he utterly backs himself. Um, there's been a couple of interviews with him um, that, that I've watched where he is basically talking about himself as the next England goalkeeper. And the best goalkeepers that I grew up watching, the Shiltons, um, even then into the Peter Schmeichels and a soft spot for Les Seeley, they were all convinced that they were the best goalkeepers in the world. And Dean Henderson has that self-belief. And I think one of the biggest battles for goalkeeping is having an unshattering belief that even if you make a mistake, it wasn't your problem, mate. It was somebody else's because then you can bounce on and you, you don't have your mentality changed. So I th for me, I think that's why Dean Henderson gets my vote. So, David, I think we don't need to spend a lot of time on why you chose LSM. I, I will tell you that... Uh, if if one had to choose a side, Allison would 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 make. I mean, it's just I'm amazed at how uh, it seems like effortless he plays the game. Uh, he doesn't have to make incredible type dives because he's he's positioned right. A lot of times it hits him in the chest. He's Let, let's the the thing the thing I want to jump on here and Chris said it was a lazy decision but let's let me ask you this if Allison had been injured for the whole season and Adrian had played in goal would Liverpool be in first place yes you think I believe that I, well, actually I believe they would be and I, I, I know I've just sort of said look Allison's a lazy decision I mean so much of being a good goalkeeper is the stuff that goes unnoticed and as Chris has said so many of the so many of the saves that other goalkeepers would have to make look amazing saves just look like the balls hit the guy 
and that's not down to anything other than really top class positioning and being being an exceptional goalkeeper the henderson thing for me again is more about he's overachieved my expectation whereas allison has probably been where i would say my expectation would be for him uh which isn't uh, that's not allison's fault of course but i i accept he's a fantastic goalkeeper and he's been a fantastic goalkeeper this season yeah and i think i think he's been worth every penny if anything i think liverpool got a bargain with Allison. I think yeah, categorically. It's, it sounds, and this is going to be probably the most cliche thing I'll say today, but particularly I've been saying that Mark Noble should be the, the, the defensive midfielder. But um, Allison has just an incredible presence as a goalkeeper. And I think that these are things that you can't measure in statistics. And as a defender, if I wanted a goalkeeper playing behind me, I would want Allison. He is just an incredible presence. Uh, he sweeps very well as a goalkeeper. He... He's very good on the ball. Um, he's an excellent shot stopper. He is an absolute unit as well. Um, and I just, I just think that he is. It's not even close as as to who the best goal, goalkeeper in the world is, in my opinion. I just think he is on another level as a goalkeeper. So that's why I could not believe he had one. But I do. I, I 100% do see your, your Henderson logic. I don't see the uh, Leno logic from Daniele. He's <laughs> never going to live that down. We're going to pick. We're going to pick the best goalkeeper saving shots with their feet. The one thing David Dahir can still do in in English football is save shots with his feet. It's his hands that are letting him down. <laughs> so I'm still still amazed that Leno got got a call up in in that situation. David, but I'm going to have to disagree about Alisson being the best goalkeeper. I don't know. I know uh, I know a couple of guys in uh, in Italy or Germany that uh, could who, challenge. Who that. in Italy? Who in Italy is better than Alisson? Andanovic, Andanovic, Inter. No, he's not. What are you? If you'd said Manuel Neuer, I mean, I I still think Alisson's better than Neuer. I'd have told you to get out as well. Christ. But I wouldn't have been like, that's outrageous. But I cannot believe what you've just said, Daniela. That is outrageous. We've brought this guy on because he's a pro player who knows a lot about Serie A football, yeah, and that's talking, what he's giving us. David, you're talking about. Is, is this transfer window open? Talking about Prezes and Danovic. Has a big presence. Hmm. Yeah, oh, oh, great! So he's big, brilliant. All right, can it? What, can, what about the rest of it? <laughs> Put Tyson Fury in goal. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably more mobile than Mark Noble in the middle of the park, mate. You won't want to stick him in there. <laughs> so what I don't get is this: we we're talking about Henderson. If Henderson goes back to his parent club, he's probably second string, justifiably or not. If I was Man United right now, I'd be looking at the the alleged decline of David De Gea. And I, I'm saying that without the statistics to back up that. But to the eye test, it feels like he is not the goalkeeper that he was a period of time ago. Um, you've got Henderson, who is younger, cheaper on the way up. And it won't be too long before De Gea's market value starts to fall quite dramatically, in my opinion. Now is the time to cash. Now was the time to cash in when Real Madrid would have done anything to take him to, to Madrid and now they've obviously got uh, Courtois um, if United are trying to become a sensibly run football club perish the thought then surely they've got to be thinking well we can make a lot of money on De Gea here which we can reinvest in other positions and Dean Henderson is no mug so let, let's get him in so go ahead David I like that logic, but I would, I would be tempted to leave Henderson with Sheffield United for another season but I'd I'm with Chris. I just wonder if people will have the money to spend that they want on the hair this season. They, they, it may end up just being 
a case of that the, the chance has gone to, to cash in. On Here's that. my question to you. Is Henderson the Jordan Pickford of two or three years ago? Where Pickford's stock was rising uh, considerably, right? Henderson, you know, big British keeper from that from that school. Did, is this the the outlier year uh, as Pickford had an outlier year a couple of years ago? I personally think that if Henderson and Pickford were starting in from the same same annual starting point right now, then Dean Henderson would be still would be England's number one right now, just based on what what he can do at the same time as what Pickford was doing. Do I think it's the outlier year? No, I think he's been decent every single opportunity he's had to play first team football. Um, Pickford's an interesting one. I actually think that one of the reasons why Pickford has not looked as good and probably underachieved in people's eyes is that moving to Everton probably wasn't the wisest career move. A club in, in constant change and turmoil without a clear direction and path. I believe that actually Pickford played pretty well under Sam Allardyce for uh, um, not uh, for, for did I mean Sam Allardyce? I've had a complete blank moment there. Was it Allardyce? Was at Everton? Wasn't he? Yeah, no, no, no. I suddenly had one of those senior moments where I thought maybe I was making it up. No, um, with uh, it doesn't sound real. Does played it? well under Allardyce. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That's what I mean. And I'm sure there's plenty of Everton fans that have also forgotten it, which they've had to forget it so they can sleep at night. But he played really well under under Allardyce, and uh, as it's got a little bit more expansive at Everton and he's been asked to play that football. I mean, we all know Pickford loves to try and play football. Give him an opportunity to ping a pass like Virgil van Dijk and he's not going to miss out on the opportunity. That responsibility on his game seems to then sort of seen as some of the goalkeeping basics regress a little bit. So, I don't know. Henderson, for me, just feels like, at the moment, a more solid all-round option at, again, a much cheaper price. I think Pickford's also lived on the reputation of being able to play direct accurate passes um and i don't i mean I, I don't think he's he's been as effective um with his shorter passing certainly and i think that i, I think that what england i mean it, like you absolutely said if he's got a chance to play that 60 yard ball where he can pick someone out he will and that's fantastic and i think generally speaking i would he's got an absolute cannon of a left foot um but at the moment, I'm just not. I'm not buying him as the sort of overall ball playing goalkeeper, and I think that um, he's one of those players that it starts to be found out this this year a little bit. And as you said, a lot of that's come down to his actual goalkeeping. But um, I, I think I think with particularly English players when they play at an international tournament and they do well, then they kind of have a reputation <laughs> until the next international tournament. People go, "Oh yeah, he's good." Um, and that's that's not always always the case. Uh, Daniele, is that the same in Italy? Do you hype up your players as much as we do? Uh, well, yeah, I can speak for um, Buffon, uh, a keeper that I think in the past four or five years just lived off of uh, what he did in the previous years in terms of he kept getting um, caps, even though um, Chesney the was the second keeper i think he was already better then but um but yeah we do hype up our players i guess it's part of the of the culture dude i think i think that as a, as a nation i think we often criticize ourselves for bigging up our young players too much so it's interesting to hear that it's not just it's not just us i know that the uh americans are really hopeful of the current young crop coming through the western mckenney's josh sergeants etc right chris 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think what our perspective is, is uh, there's Promise, there's Josh Sargent, uh, you know, obviously Christian Polisic, but frankly, we've had kind of a couple of uh, stumbles as of late, and uh, we're left wondering, uh, particularly with the cancellation of the Development Academy, is, okay, what are we in the U.S. doing to develop um, high-class talent? And um, jury's still out on that, uh, and it's been out on that for the last 25 years, uh, I think, is the unfortunate piece. But I, I want to kind of get back to my pick on the goalkeeper. Um, I chose Peter Schmeichel uh, in large... Casper. Sorry, Casper. I'd still bat Peter. I'd still put Peter between the sticks, no problem. I saw him in a Legends game, uh, and he has no problem taking people out. Um, But uh, Casper, I I think in terms of impact player, uh, in terms of uh, the expected saves versus actual saves, he's fared very well. I don't think that Leicester is in the Champions League hunt without him, right? On the margin, he's just not there. Um, if Henderson does get Sheffield United into Europa, okay, well, that, that that's a legit argument. But I, I will tell you that Schmeichel, even over the last four years, he, his distribution has gone to next level. Uh, his ability in which to hit precise long balls, his ability to... He's become really a the quarterback uh, of of that team, uh, and I, I think uh, uh, or David, you mentioned this earlier, is is the intangible features. He's a barker. He will bark at his teammates if they don't get things done. I, you know, Allison is a little more quiet, and I I just think that Schmeichel, who grew up in an era, frankly, where they didn't use their feet at all, he was the third string keeper at Man City, and. Uh, what he ended up doing was because he wasn't playing in the games, he was always drafted into play in, uh, as a back. So that's how he was able to develop his, his foot skills. While he's yet growing up, he never took his own goal kicks. So to see that development, to see the hardship that Lester has gone through, and for him to be that that leader that he is, um, and the the numbers I think could fully support that. Uh, so I don't. I, I like the Henderson story in terms of difference maker. I don't know if I were a back looking behind me, if, if I would have the utmost confidence. Of course, an Allison is. But if I saw Schmeichel back there, I'd be like, all right, uh, he's got my back. I'm ready to roll. Chris, what are your thoughts on um, goalkeepers when they're growing up playing different sports that still benefit them as, I mean, as a goalkeeper? I know Peter Schmeichel grew up. I don't know if Casper did as well, but I know he grew up playing handball as well. And was apparently an outstanding handball uh, player. Do you think? Do you think that, that that's an important avenue for player development for goalkeepers? Uh, I think it is essential, uh, in my opinion. Uh, goalkeeping is a very specialized skill set, but I in the U.S. Uh, we the the uh, keepers I train they I insist at a younger age they play basketball until about twelve or thirteen, because their ability in which to block out for rebounds. Uh, will give them tremendous confidence in high balls. The footwork that they have to do, uh, particularly lateral movements uh, and even diagonal movements, right? The sort of lateral speed you pick up playing a sport like uh, basketball, I think is really important. I also think tennis is fantastic for quick lateral movements because for goalkeepers, the truth is we don't really need to move past five yards, right? I mean, it it's really fought. Our, we need two three max quick steps. And if you really get that 
technique down and there is some technique with lateral movements. So I think that's really important. There's a, a raging debate in U.S. youth sports still. Even American football coaches are coming out and saying, we need our kids not to specialize so early. Um, so absolutely is the answer for, uh, for your question. So guys, I think we've, we've wrapped up uh, closer to the better part of an hour. Uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to thank Total Football Analysis. They are the world's largest open source soccer analyst community. Please visit www.totalfootballanalysis.com and join and support the revolution. Join us on our next Football Thinking Fans podcast. Free at last, free at last. For now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. <laughs>